The Accidental Entrepreneur is produced by Beinhacker Law and brought to you through our affiliate relationships with the following sponsors. One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the average podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. North Authentic, the conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. The Healthy Place, the e-commerce site with thousands of supplements to help you live a healthier life, along with natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. We ended up coming down to Florida at the end of that year, and I just that was the first time I came to Florida. And we rolled through St. Petersburg, and I saw HSN. I drove past HSN in my van, and I remember like that's that's the place. Yeah, big time. And that product, the product we were selling, then the mop, the it became known as the Smart Mop. Every show I would go to, there would be some local promoter who'd be like, "You need to get this on TV." Yeah, you need to get this on TV, and I'd be like, "Yeah, I know I need to get it on TV." And <laughs> thank you. Who do you know? And it happened in St. Pete, a buyer from HSN, uh, her name is Nancy Cooney. And I always give her a shout out because I feel like she was, it was, she came and she saw me doing my patter and um, she's basically approached me and she negotiated a way for me to get on TV. And and, and I remember I, I debuted on TV about, about a year after me landing in the States, which when I was your think, big break, basically, right? You when I think her, about yeah. it now. The fact that I came to this country with no experience, pretty much broke ass with a backpack and a few dollars in my pocket, and actually was on a national TV station within one year of landing is is with no impossible. Experience. It was right. absolutely say you're crazy. Yeah, and I look back, and, you know, and I was twenty with no TV experience, and they just pushed me out there. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hi, Anthony Sullivan here, getting tough stains out for OxyClean. I'm the CEO of Mont Cush, and I've been the spokesperson for OxyClean for almost 12 years right now. So I'm excited to be here. All right. So um, Anthony Sully Sullivan, you go by Sully, right? Is that like your friends call you? Yeah, Anthony is, uh, my mom calls me Anthony. Everyone else pretty much calls me Sully, but I'll answer. Okay, good. Well, we'll stick with Sully then. That's cool. So I appreciate Andrea introducing us. Um, I want to, we got about an hour together, so I'd love to share your story, your backstory. I know it's exciting. You were working with Billy Mays and uh, the spokesperson for OxyClean and all that stuff. Maybe we can tell us your backstory and go back to where you got started in business, and then we'll get into Mont Cush and what it's doing today. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds great. Sounds great. Okay. Um, so how did I get started into how, I guess the, the, the question is how, how did I become the OxyClean spokesperson? Yeah, that's right. A, that's a good question. I didn't, I never, I never, if you asked me uh, almost 30 years ago, if I would be the spokesperson for America's number one stain fighter and, and probably, you know, <laughs> the most disruptive, the most disruptive thing to happen to laundry, probably since the, in, you know, the inception of laundry, I, right. I couldn't have told you. Um, it all started off, you know, my, my dad was an entrepreneur when I was a kid in England. Um, and he, he always kind of instilled in me as a, as a kid, Hey, you know, see if you can get out there on your own and, and make it work for yourself. Right. Um, and I, I always had it, even as a kid, I, at some point I knew I was going to work for myself. I it just, and even my father offered me a job at a young age and I did work for him and I'm really grateful that I did. And he kind of taught me work ethic and he made me start at the bottom. I started off 
delivering slot machines and pool tables and stuff when I was a kid. And, um, and it, it, my father had a slot machine business in the UK. But um, I, I I dropped out of college and um, did I had various jobs at a young age. And I, I was a little bit lost. I was kind of a bit rudderless, like I think a lot of people are in their late right, teens, right. early twenties, especially, you know, having not gone to college. Um, and I, you know, I was just, it was the end of the 80s in the UK. It wasn't a particularly great time. Inflation was high. Interest rates were high. It, it right. was actually... You know, when I think back where we are now, it's very yeah, I think eighty nine was the first market crash in the states. Right? Yeah, well, I remember that vividly. Um, that big crash, Black Monday, with with um, with BP. I remember where I was that day because, believe it or not, even at that age, I was dabbling in the stock market. Um, as Margaret Thatcher was was privatizing all those companies, I had shares in British Telecom and British Airways. And oh all yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, I, I was in a stock class at Cornell, and we were studying the Dow and we were studying the markets, and then the thing crashed, and then the professors listen. I've been called to Washington by Reagan to to deal with this whole thing. So the the student teach is going to teach the rest of the class, and he left and went to Washington. So yeah, it was it was brutal. I, I remember time. that. And, um, I remember when interest rates went to 17 percent in the UK, and it was a pretty it was a pretty crappy time, and and unemployment was really high. And I, right. I got to be honest, I was kind of lost. And I ended up helping a friend out in a flea market, um, and my. My mom was horrified. Like selling for him, like at a table he, or something. I, I so he had a he used to sell surf t shirts and he had okay. a speed, yeah, he had a speeding ticket and he literally asked me to help him out one day while he went to court to fight a speeding ticket. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I sat up there. Anyway, a guy opposite me was demonstrating. This is where it all kind of started, and I see this guy doing a pitch, right. and I didn't even know what a pitch was then. Never I saw just, it before. I'd seen it, but I never paid any attention to it. Okay. And, you know, you go to a flea market and you see these guys doing their patter. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sitting opposite him, right? So I listened to this all day and I started to count how much, how many, what he was doing in business compared to me. Right. There's a couple of things that jumped out at me. He had one skew. He, was, he wasn't sitting waiting for people to come to him. He was going to them. Right. And he was doing 20 times in revenue what I was doing. And I right. I, I was just helping a buddy out, but I, could, I couldn't help but do the math because I'm just yeah. listening to him all day. So I'm like, man, this guy's got his- so he's selling the heck out of whatever it is he has. Right? Selling the heck out of it. And yeah. so I, I've always been a bit of a talker and I thought, you know what? I think I might have a crack at this. So I went over, introduced myself to him and he kind of flicked me off a little bit and wasn't interested in helping me. I went back to my buddy and I said, you know what? I think I could do that. Anyway, and Sully, you were I, how old at this point? Like early twenties? Twenty-one, like yeah. twenty-one. I've been to I've been to America on a surf trip. Um, uh, so I had a little taste of America. I've been out on the surf trip. I bought a house before this. I saved up enough money to go to Australia. I made a little bit of money working in a, in a, a summer job, and I I had saved up some money. I had gone to America at nineteen, believe it or not. I had surfed in Hawaii, and then the market crashed, and I ended up tail between my legs back in England. So I, I had already done like a little bit. I, I had right. a, little taste, a little taste of success, yeah. and all of a sudden, I'm back in my England. I get my ass kicked, thinking about going back to college, and I, I ended. This guy ends up hiring me, and he was the one really who taught me, and he was very, very. Um, he was just said, "Listen, if you're going to work for me, you got to know the pitch. Don't." Do don't put your own spin on it. Learn the pitch. And I actually got Sully, a this wasn't the guy from the flea market. This was the guy from the flea market. Oh, it was. He finally gave you attention. He gave me a break. His okay. name is Mark, Mark Bingham. And okay. the product was called the Amazing Washmatic. He oh, made me okay. he made me write the pitch down. I, I actually recorded him on an old school tape recorder. I learned the pitch. And I guess this is important because this is why, this is how this this was the beginning, the very first pitch that I learned. And it was a pitch. It was magical. You'd say, right. if you said these words, if you had the, the balls to stand up in front of a crowd of people with this car wash and you said these words, people would throw money at you. Yeah, they're like a miracle. Sounds, sounds ridiculous. What, what did the thing do, Sully? What did the, what did the item do? You could, you, could wash, you could wash and rinse your car with one bucket of water. And instead of, give, it was, instead of giving your, bath, your, your car a bath, it was like giving it a shower. It was basically right. a nine-foot piece of hose with a, a soft bristle brush on one end and a one-way check valve on the other end. And it, it, I can't do the pitch without the product. Right. It's a demo product, right? I mean, it's a demo product. And if I yeah. did it, if I gave you the pitch, there's a, there's a high chance that you would give me 20 bucks, even today. Right. Sure, because you're like, I want that. Yeah, you needed yeah. it. So 
And I, anyway, I loved it. I learned it and he put me on the road and I, I just started, I don't want to say people threw money at me, but there wasn't a day when I went to work and I knew that I would outsell everyone around me. And I, I, it turned me on. I got, I'm sure it gave you confidence, right? I mean, you, this fit you really well. And I, I liked the entertainment of it. I liked the product. I didn't like the product. I loved it. And you could tell. Like, I would yeah. sit there and people would laugh at me. I would show up with this car. I'd put my little table out and I'd put my car washes over here and I'd have a cup of tea and I'd have to wait until the crowd yeah. kind of. And well, it's I, a performance, really, right? I mean, that's what you're 100%. doing. When yeah. I saw that we have people there, I'd, I'd start my dog and pony show and then it would be after the races and I wouldn't stop. I would keep going for about six or seven hours and people used yeah. to be on my phone, but I couldn't, I couldn't not stop because people, you know, you take some money and then someone in the back would say, Hey, how does that work? Right. Well, I got good at it. I made money like anything. And the more I did it, the better I got like anything. And I ended up getting recruited by several other people to do several other products. And they all, they all had their own little nuances. Um, vegetable slices. Yeah. Um, there was Ron a peel, right? You're like the Ron yeah, Popeil yeah. of I was, I was, I didn't know Ron at the time, but I was following right. in that, in those footsteps of yeah. like you know, this, this, um, and then, you know, a couple of years went by and it was great in the summer and it was bad in the winter. Because the weather, it was very weather dependent. And it was it was outdoor stuff most of the time. Yeah, I look back on it now. It was early mornings, sleeping in the back of my van. You know, I was a kid, right? So I didn't care. Right. Um, Cash, a lot of fun. Um, I think, you know, Sully, I think the best pitches I've seen have been going to like these auto shows. And you go in the section where they have, it's like off to the side where they have all these companies that sell products. Everybody loves their car, right? These guys could pitch anything and they, it's all demo stuff. It looks great. And you, you're like sold. I need that. And I, you know, yeah. you got yeah. the shape. Wow. You got the car wax. And I, it was yeah. like a performance, like you said, anyway. And one day I turned on the TV and I saw my first infomercial uh, when Reagan deregulated the airwaves in the eighties infomercials broke in America it took a couple of years for them to migrate with satellite TV over to the UK. And I saw, I started to see Ron Peel. Yeah. I started to see Mike Levy. Oh, that's the first time you started to see him. When I saw those guys on TV, I was like, holy crap, that yeah. I need to be doing. I'm like, yeah. I need to be on TV. Why talk to 50 people when you can talk to 50 million, right? 100. So uh, 100%. So, you know, this story, it, it, it ended up a lot of, but I ended up jumping on a plane and going to LA and I look back on it now and it was absolutely, it was a crazy, um, you know, I remember telling my friends, I'm giving up this market life. I'm going to America. I'm going to be on TV. I mean, who, how many people? And that was it. You had no contacts. You didn't, you were just like, I'm going, I'm going to find I these knew, people. I knew one person uh, <laughs> out there and he had a, a mop. He was a British okay. guy. He had this mop called the Super Shammy Mop, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to I'm going to learn the pitch for this mop, and I'm I'm somehow going to get myself on television. Um, but he but wasn't I, on TV at the time. The product wasn't on TV. No, it wasn't on TV. I was young and reckless, and I didn't. I had nothing to lose, and that's a beautiful. When you got nothing to lose, and you're young, and you and you've got got a dream, like that's what you want to go for, it, right? So I, I guess, right? You got nothing to lose. Now, were there were there any of the shopping networks in those days, or not yet? I, well, they were. I didn't know about the shopping networks. I oh, hadn't okay. seen. Them. I just was watching infomercials at the time. So I ended up going to LA, and I worked every single. I think every single municipality in Southern California and up to Oregon. I, I worked. I, either the fairgrounds or the convention center from Santa Barbara to Fresno. You had to pay your bills, right? You went out there, you had no job, right? So job, and I, I learned the mops and it was different in America because the sense of humor was different. The performance was different, <laughs> but I had an accent. Yeah. People like the British accents here. Yeah, I, well, what I to it, is, in Australia. if you've got nothing smart to say, say it with a British accent. Right, you know? I agree hundred percent. Yeah. It'll, it'll at least sound a bit better. So right, exactly. um, anyway, the gentleman that I was working with out of Los Angeles, he was giving me 25% commission and I was, I was loving it. I was in California. I had a van and I was living in it. You know, it's Weather's good. It's good. Right. Van. I couldn't, it was a whole other world, right. You know, it's British kid accent. It was like, you know, I was, I, right. I was in life. And those days that was a real van, right. It wasn't a minivan. It was like a, it was a, uh, it was a 1977 Ford extended Econo van. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's a real van. Yellow. Yellow. Yeah. That's um, funny. So, and I would, I would camp out and I would, in between weekends, I would go to the beach and surf and hang out. Anyway, I got, I got a call to go back to New York and Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and Boston. And they were like, you know, you need to go back East. It's, it's, I remember the streets were paved with gold was what they told me. And I thought, all right, I'll go. 
Yeah. It was I. It was one of those things when I got the good life and I'm like, okay, up New York sounds great. And I went there in the winter of '94, and there was a nor'easter after nor'easter after nor'easter. Yeah, '94 was a I, bad. See, I think we had 17 major storms that year. It was really bad, and, yeah. and it didn't snow. It, it didn't get above zero for pretty much three months. And I mean, I was just like, what the hell did I like just being home? Yeah, and I almost went home because I just I I almost gave up. And um, we're in Detroit. Well, because of the weather, you couldn't work, right? Because most of it's outdoors. Nobody, nobody would show up at the home shows. So right. I was in the Long Island Nassau Coliseum. Even if it was inside, they didn't come because they were all snowed in. There was a guy who came up to me recently about, uh, this is a couple of years ago, and he said, you know, I remember you. He goes, you were the only exhibitor at the at the Long Island home show back in 1990. Like no one else showed up. Nobody, he goes, I bought a mark from you. And I said, you were remember that he goes yeah you were the only move that was open right that's so funny I had, enough, I had nothing else to do i thought well i'll i'll yeah, hell, shovel right? myself out and i'll walk to the convention center and i, w- I was and then i actually would sell because i was the only booth that was open with this my i had a swedish friend i was working with at the time and he, he was from sweden so he didn't mind the snow anyway so that we ended up coming down to florida at the end of that year and i just that was the first time i came to florida and we rolled through saint petersburg and I saw HSN. I drove past HSN in my van. Oh, and I remember man. like, that's that's the place. Yeah, big time. And that product, the product we were selling, then the mark, the smart, it became known as the smart mark. Every show I would go to, there would be some local promoter who'd be like, you need to get this on TV. Yeah. You need to get this on TV. And I'd be like, yeah, I know I need to get it on TV. And <laughs> Thank you. Who do you know? And it happened in St. Pete, a buyer from HSN, uh, her name is Nancy Cooney. And I always give her a shout out because I feel like she was, it was, she came and she saw me doing my patter and um, she's basically approached me and she negotiated a way for me to get on TV. And and, and I remember I, I debuted on TV about, about a year after me landing in the States, which when was I your think, big break, basically, right? You when I think about it now. The fact that I came to this country with no experience, pretty much broke ass for the backpack and a few dollars in my pocket, and actually was on a national TV station within one year of landing is is with no impossible. Right. Absolutely, say you're crazy. Yeah, and I look back, and, you know, and I was 20 with no TV experience, and they just pushed me out there. They literally, they didn't care that I had no TV experience. No, because you were good at what you did. You yeah, know. You know yeah, I mean, they obviously had confidence in me. I was a nervous wreck going in there, but they pushed me <laughs> through the cameras. And um, makes for a great story, though. Now, and I, we sold, we sold five thousand mops in twenty-two minutes. Um, now how long would it take you out on the road at flea markets and and shows to sell that many mops? Well, I mean, I would sell on a on a really, really, really good show, like the Fort Lauderdale yeah. Home Show or something. I would do about fifteen thousand in a weekend, which would be seven hundred and fifty. You know, the whole weekend you did it in 20 whole, minutes that would be a, and that would be a really good show that right. would be a, a very very busy that's me with one other person so to sell your ass off no five thousand in 22 yeah. minutes it's unbelievable like, yeah yeah so then i picked up um i i had a you know and i didn't make the kind of money down at hsn that i was doing because i had to work a deal with the people i was working with but i realized i'm like the future for me is not doing flea markets anymore or boat shows or home shows the future for me is to is to anchor myself to hsn and i couldn't do any wrong down there back then it wasn't like it is now it's much more corporate now but back then it was what it was just gone public and it was the wild west yeah, and they were looking was, to make money. Really, and it's like one big infomercial, the whole network, It was one basically. big infomercial, and they would play these crazy price games, and they had a horn on the set, and they would take- I remember that. Yeah, do they still do that? No, <laughs> it's no. all, it's all, it's it's very um, formulaic now. And I, I say that with the greatest respect, but I when I was there, I mean, anything went, anything. Yeah. They didn't, they, I mean, it was, I had no makeup. They'll try anything, right, yeah. They'll try anything, and it was, I mean, I- and I mean, I was the kid and they, I mean, I remember running around with Frankie Avalon and Omar Sharif and Ivana oh, yeah. Trump and Louise Mandrell. I'm, and they, I was this little skinny rat, 20 something year old kid with a British accent and all these celebrities, I get invited out to dinner. I must go out to dinner with Frankie Avalon. You know, I'm like, really? I'm having steak. And they're dinner. all pitching something. That's what they were there well, they for. Loved it because they were, they were trying to sell what they were selling and they weren't <laughs> like, I, I'm not going to be, I would kick their ass. Yeah, well, they were just there because they were well-known, not because they were good at what they did. Right, like Vana yeah. White would be on the air and Suzanne Summers, and I would like right, quadruple, I would quadruple what they were moving. Right, and because the, the pit, your skill matters when you're on TV. It's no question about it. 
they would pull me into the green room and say, kid, get in here. And they all <laughs> felt like it was the mafia running half these people. Because it was all the Vegas promoters that were, there were all these guys from New York and guys from Jersey. And it was their promoters were always like these, these guys. And they were like, it was yeah. like, maybe like, hey, get in here, kid. Hey, Anthony, come over here, talk come to over us. Here. Let, let's have give a talk. Suzanne, give Suzanne a couple of pointers. You <laughs> right, know? And I, exactly. You know, give Suzanne Summers to tell her. What the how hell are you going to tell her? It was Connie Stevens. It was uh, Dr. Wow. Spock was on the air. And yeah. And uh, so I, that was great when I look back. And anyway, that was the beginning of HSN. And um, over before I did that, I sort of, I'd had a, um, I had a, I'd done a lot of shows and I met Billy. And Billy and me, um, Billy actually sold the car wash that I very first sold. And I heard about him. And there wasn't very many of us that actually sold the British car wash, the amazing Washmatic. So when I met him in Pittsburgh of that really crap winter, I I I made an effort to 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 find him and seek him out because I figured he was one of he we were one of this, you know, we had so we had this mutual product that we loved. And me and Billy didn't get along right away. Um, for whatever reason. He he did not like me right out of the gate. He Billy's was not, American, right? He's not British. He was, he was a Yinza, Pittsburgh, through and yeah, through. He right. bled yellow and gold. Uh, black, right. black Steelers. Gold. Yeah. Yeah. Steelers all the way. Uh, Myron Copes, terrible towel. And it, he yeah. was a he was a master. And I, so Billy and I didn't hit it off right away, but there was a mutual respect that we gained for each other as we would travel the, the flea markets in the home shows. And I would run into him and I realized that he was, he was a powerhouse. I think one of the reasons we didn't get along is we're super competitive. Yeah, sure. I'm sure. Yeah. And we How did you end up selling the same product? The, because the product you were selling was from a guy you knew in Britain, right? In England. It was well, it, it was a well-known car wash at the time and, but not very many people that, so there were these pitches that were really physical. And there were non-physical pitches, and and the the I liked the physical demos where there was a yeah. lot of movement. And Billy was like that. Billy it liked he he liked the demos that required a lot of there was a lot of dexterity. When I look back on it, and there was a science, and and you, yeah. I mean, I I could pitch these products without even looking at them. I could look at you in the eye, right. It was like a magic show. When I look back, and right. it's like doing to respond to visual stuff. That's why magic. Yeah. Awesome. So. And then Billy, uh, I was, I kind of locked, I kind of dialed myself into HSN and moved to St. Pete. And then Billy showed, I, I got maxed out on my products on the air. And, um, and next thing Billy showed up and I, I was doing good at HSN. I was loving it. I moved to Clearwater beach. I bought a house on the beach. I, I was making money. I got myself a green card, a bank account, a credit card. I mean, you know, I, this is when I sort of put my roots down. I, I'm going to move to Florida. Yeah. And at the time, you'd never want to live. I mean, St. Pete was famous for the movie Cocoon, you know, and retired yeah. people. Yeah. Um, and you then down uh, the average age by moving there. Yeah, I brought it. I mean, I was the, I was the youngest person on Clearwater Beach probably by about 30 years. Um, but, <laughs> but, but the weather was better. Uh, it was it was great when I look back on it. Anyway, and then Billy, Billy came and Billy ended up getting OxyClean. And OxyClean was a was a new product. No one had heard of it. Right. And I met I met the guy who found OxyClean. So he didn't invent OxyClean. He was just no. a pitch man. He it was actually discovered. It, I don't know the lady that actually originally had OxyClean. I remember first seeing it at the Miami Boat Show, and this guy called Max Apple, old guy. Um, Max is from Denver, Colorado, from Greenwood Village. He he found out. He did a deal with a lady that found OxyClean. They named it OxyClean, and he recruited Billy because he. But Max was a little bit older. He was a former pitch guy, and he knew that Billy was a powerhouse. Got so it. he recruited Billy, and then Billy knew the pitch for a product called DD7, and Billy took that pitch, took the, the the nuts and bolts of that pitch, and applied the demonstrations to OxyClean. And he came up. Billy came up with all the one-liners: powered by the air you breathe, activated by the water you and I drink. Uh, it's Mother Nature approved and safe on colored fabrics. I had a scoop to every load of laundry. That was all Billy. Right. Uh, and when he got an HSN, I mean, you want to see something catch fire. It was, it was a, if we, if there's a movie made about Billy or a marketing moment when I could see something actually catch fire, watching OxyClean, I mean, it was literally Billy lit the match and that thing just, I mean, every day. Fast enough. Yeah. He, the, 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 the computers at HSN used to crash. There would really? be, there would be a, a line of people on the phone and, you know, they'd be selling some jewelry or something. Then I would come on the air and I'd be able to redline it. 
<laughs> Billy would, the whole entire screen would just be red and it'd be like flashing and it would go to these <laughs> colors that no one had seen before. Like it would right. go red, and like orange, hotter than, you know, the weather chart when a tornado's rolling through, the, yeah. the center of the tornado. Billy's whole heat map would be the hottest color you could imagine. And the phones, everyone would be picking up and, and it would be total pandemonium. And I remember the the energy and the laughter, and I would be like, holy crap. He would come back in the green room and he'd be dripping in sweat. Yeah. And he'd be like, I do so. And I'd be like, dude, you just like there's gotta you be a movie about the two of you. I mean, you couldn't go on the air after Billy. Right. You couldn't go if you were after Billy, he it would take you an hour to clear the phone lines. So the other guests used to get so upset. Yeah, because, because they couldn't even call for the new product because it's already full. It's all busy. I could, me and Billy could load the lines, and the other guests they fly in from Philadelphia or from from Pittsburgh or wherever they were, LA, and they they, they couldn't sell anything for like an hour, right. and we would yell that. We literally would get yelled at by the other the guests. Like, You're behind you guys, and um, and it was so. And then the owners of OxyClean ended out getting it, it got it started to get people's attention. I left HSN after working there for four or five years. This this was over a four or five year period now, looking yeah. back on it. And then I decided to start a production company and start making commercials because I, I learned enough by now. And I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna make I'm gonna start making commercials because I, commercials. I yeah, I'm gonna yeah. start making commercials. I'm gonna make short form commercials. So I because I'd done, I spent so much time at the network. I started to understand the architecture of what, what it would look like. And I kept getting asked to be in commercials and none of them ever worked. Um, none of them worked? No, because I'd end up working with these writers from LA and they were all screenwriters for uh, movies. Yeah, and they weren't in your they business. They never, sold, they never sold anything. Right. And I get these scripts and I'd read them and I'd tell them, it's a great script. Not going to work. It's yeah. telling you. And then the director would get mad at me and the producer because I really want to change it all, right? And then but it I was would, your company, wasn't it? Well, no, I was. I would get hired by as talent. Oh, just I understand. Person. Okay, got it. Right. And they would hire me and Billy to go go and do these commercials, and we would go out to LA and we shoot these commercials for other people. And they, I get them back, and they were good. But I'm like, it's, yeah, it's okay, but it's not, you know, not going to set the world on fire. Yeah. But a pitch, right? We, me and Billy, we had a we had a way of doing things. So I decided, right, the only way to do this, I'm going to have to write, produce, direct, and star in my own commercials. <laughs> and that, you know, I'm, so I set up my production company. Another and crazy I, thing that you're deciding to do. Crazy thing. I'm going to become a producer. Like, I know. I know how to do this. But I, I believed in, I'm like, I can do It's not that hard. It's all we got to do is. Well, you had the element that they didn't have, and that was how to write these things and present them. Right. So. Anyway, I did my first couple commercials. Actually, I was lucky. I did the Smart Chopper, the first state quarters map, and I did Tap Light with my first three. And all three of them worked. And this is in a business where the hit rate is about one in 20. So my first three, all they were like singles and doubles. Tap Light actually was a home run. Anyway, the owners of OxyClean... um, They saw what I was doing and they, they were... I was in Vegas with Billy... Uh, at a trade show, and they said, "Look, can would you and Billy work together and do a commercial?" So Billy wasn't partners with you in the production. No, company. Oh, no, okay. Billy was not. Billy, I don't know, like him with Billy. Right, he's a. Solo I, I don't work with him. Like, he's what does he know about directing? And they were like, right. "No, I said, Billy." I said, "Told the owners of Oxford, and I said, there's no way that Billy will ever work with me. Right. He, he just won't do it.' And with friends, but he's not going to take direction from me anyway. The owners of Oxford were like, "No, you two are going to go in a room together." And you are going to work together and you are going to make some magic. So I was like, okay, we'll do it. Randomly, <laughs> me and Billy were sitting next to each other on the plane on the way back from Vegas. And we wrote on that flight the very first OxyClean commercial. And I remember writing it with Billy. And I was just like, Billy, we got to get your pitch down into, into 320 words. You know, this is a 20-minute pitch that he would do on HSM, but he was great and he understood it. And all of a sudden you got two guys who understand this strange world we live in. And we wrote 320 words of what I think is the best commercial I ever did for OxyClean. It's the first one I ever did. It was easy to shoot. Billy was an absolute pleasure to work with. And I, I remember working with him thinking, man, he's he's just, he's on it. And I would say action and he would do his line. And I'd be like, but just because I knew it, I'd watched him and I knew what, I knew what, how to get, because I'd seen him on HSN a thousand times, set fire to right. the TV. 
And I'm like, what we got to do? Just do that thing that you do. And, uh, and we hit this real sweet spot. And I'm like, man, this is, this is like uh, Bernie Torpin and Elton John stuff of sales. Yeah, right. That's what it felt That's like. That's why it's I'm a like, great story. It's gotta be, you know, Billy was like, you know, Billy was the, my performer and I was able to, I knew what he, what he liked. And that commercial, that's when you probably first started seeing Oxyclean. Was, yeah, uh, I don't think I saw it on HSN. It was on yeah, TV. That's yeah. probably when, when, and that's when Oxyclean hit the mainstream. And then Lee Scott, the CEO of Walmart, saw the commercial. He made it a global VPI. And this was 2000 we shot that commercial. And by 2005, um, Church and Dwight, the, the parent company of Arm & Hammer, uh, real smart guys, a CPG company. They're in the, you know, they're in uh, Arm and Hammer, Nair hair removal, Trojan condoms. Um, they have a lot of really, really yeah, big, big conglomerate, right? They they came in and bought. They saw the they saw the magic, and they came in and bought OxyClean for for almost half a billion dollars. Yeah. So that that was how that all happened, and um, Billy and I were in the middle of that. I remember the day that happened as well, and it was just as all of a sudden. This happened over a very relatively short period of time. And, you know, it was just this crazy ride of just being in the right place at the right time with the right product, with the right person, at the right price. And um, all of a sudden, you know, Church and Dwight buys the company and uh, and and um, we ended up getting a reality show, Billy and I, because the two of us, we were at it all the time. Right. We shot a reality show called Pitchmen with uh, Tom Beers was the executive producer of. Okay. And um, and then unfortunately, uh, Billy passed away in 2009, right yeah. in the middle of, you know, we were on the Tonight Show. We had a hit TV show. Yeah, Billy sudden, was, right? He wasn't sick yeah. or anything, was he? No, he, well, he's, he had a three hip surgeries and he was 50 years old and he was actually suffering with a lot of uh, pain from his hip. And he was medicating a little more than he, you know, is in pain. And uh, so... And, you know, it was sad at heart. He was very stressed. And I think he was looking back on it. It was just working really the, the yeah. typical, the typical success story when all of a sudden your, your, your star is like dead and you're like, wait yeah. a minute, you, you just keep pushing someone out there where, you know, eventually they just crack. And, and unfortunately I think Billy just, uh, they kept pushing him out there and, and it was very, really hard. And that, that was kind of when the, the, everything was the needle on the record went zzz, that was yeah. like, okay, time to time to reassess and reevaluate. What are we doing? Where are we going? Um, and what's next? Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to get into podcasting? Maybe to market your business for your own enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created specially for our listeners. Care for your health. Care for the planet and look flipping great doing it. North Authentic is a conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. Their pro stylists curate only the most fabulous non-toxic hair products with better for you shampoos, serums, masks, and more that actually give you gorgeous hair without hurting your health or the planet. Hey, you've only got one life, one planet, and one glorious mane. Might as well treat them all as best you can, right? Try a 100% clean hair care routine prescribed just for you using their link in the show notes. If you don't see a big, beautiful difference in how your hair looks and feels, you can tell them they're crazy. Do you battle chronic pain, stress, anxiety, or depression? Well, if you take any supplements or you're interested in natural alternatives, you need to know about findyourhealthyplace.com. Find Your Healthy Place has thousands of supplements to help you live a better quality of life as well as natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. Need guidance? Use their live chat feature and talk to a wellness consultant right on their website. And be sure to use our coupon code TAEPODCAST for all your purchases to get the best prices at findyourhealthyplace.com. Follow their links in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. And that's when I went into a pretty dark hole for about six months of just 
you know, nothing made any sense. I'd lost my best right. friend and no amount of money or fame or, or TV commercials or anything was going to help solve the problem. It's just grieving. I was young and stupid and I didn't really know, you know, I'd never lost anyone that close to me. Um, and, uh, I, 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 you know, I do what most people just get through it. Right. You just, just yeah. keep getting every day and going at it. And then I, um, OxyClean came to me about six months so after he died and they said, look, we need, you know, we need another, we need, we need you to be the oxygen guy. And I, I was like, I don't know if that's going to be a good idea. And then a lot of people said, you know, you should do it. They're like, Billy would, would roll over in his grave if he thought you were <laughs> going to be the oxyclean guy, but he would also want you to do it. Yeah. And, um, well, he wants some other guy I, that nobody knows. To yeah. Do I wrestled, I wrestled with it and I, um, and I decided, you know what? Uh, let's do it. Let's go for it. And I'm really, really happy that I did. And the guys at OxyClean are, are honestly, I've been involved in corporate America and with many companies and people and dealt with, uh, you know, flea market people. And I've dealt with CEOs and presidents of some of the biggest companies in, in America. And the, the team that runs OxyClean and Church and Dwight are some of the classiest, nicest people you could possibly imagine the way they handled that and the way they've handled the brand and grown the brand and, and to see OxyClean where it is today um, and to get the love. And I tell you what, OxyClean gets love. And I think it's because of Billy and because of what I brought to the table and be, because of the team at Church and Dwight that runs it, kids and, and will come up, OxyClean. Really? <laughs> no. I mean, it's, it's in everybody's laundry room now. It's not, you know, it's, it's common. It's everywhere. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, it's it's great. The blue shirt and the khaki pants. I mean, a lot of give you a little story behind the blue shirt. People ask me, how did OxyClean get a blue shirt? The reason why OxyClean has a blue shirt is because Billy was on the air at HSN so many times. For they they had three networks at one point, so he would bounce between Net One, Net Two, and Net Four. Don't ask me why it was called Net Four. <laughs> and he was on the air almost every hour, right? Yeah. And it was very physical pitch. So he used to sweat. So he would bring in 10 pairs of khakis, 10 white t-shirts and, and to stop the sweat. Right. And 10 blue shirts. And in between, in between takes, he would come in and just change. And he, he wore the same thing every day. Cause it was like, right. And he wore black one for orange bloke. He wore a purple one for kaboom. He wore a blue one for oxyclean. Each product he had had a different shirt. So he could kind of identify himself. And so the blue shirt, Boxy clean wasn't a choice of artistic choice. It was just the color that he happened to have that. And that's why the OxyClean shirt is blue. So uh, it, it, I like talking about this because I look back on it and it's, it's fun. Great story. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a great story. So, um, okay. So take us forward a little bit because I know you're not doing that now. You're doing other things now, right? I am, I am still a very, very active in OxyClean. I'm still oh, uh, okay. uh, my production company's 25 years. Um, I, I, um, I have a little girl who's seven mm -hmm. she was she's 11 now, but she was seven at the time. And she got, she, uh, she has special needs. When Billy passed away, I, I, I thought, you know what, it's time for me to settle down and have a family. And I just, I had a little girl and, um, I love her to death. Her name is Devon and she was born with special needs. She has a rare genetic disorder that's a manifest it's a duplication of chromosome one and 13 it doesn't really have a name even though she's on the autistic spectrum but she has significant special needs and we've struggled as a family to to you know come to terms with it and also to to help her be the best she can be when she was seven she got diagnosed with a lot of seizures and she was put on a medication called Keppra, and um it it, I don't want to say anything bad about it because a lot of people have good results with this, but that, but the side effects like for my little girl were devastating. She, over about a period of three months, she, she got really skinny. She lost about, about five or six pounds, which, which then was about 20% of her body weight. She's a little skinny little thing. Yeah. Um, and then she, her personality literally disappeared. She went from this little vibrant girl who would use non, she doesn't talk. She used word assimilations. And mm -hmm. I know it. I know what she wants. Right. And all, I couldn't communicate with my kid. She's just like gone. Um, she was like, when you think with autistic a, kids, they're usually like hidden behind. Was, a, she was, she was literally not there, like listless. And, um, her mom, I, I said to her mom, I said, we, we got to do something about these meds. It's like it, the side effects are awful. And she, Cause she couldn't communicate. Right. I think an average person would say, Hey mom, I don't feel good. This makes right. me she feel couldn't tell you. Right. She couldn't tell us. So we ended up going down the cannabis and CBD road 
And, and this was how long ago? This is 2018. Oh, okay. Yeah. So CBD cannabis are in the 2018. So they just, in the public it was space. It yeah. been around in California and Colorado and Washington. It was kind of becoming more legal. And I was very hesitant to embark to, to, um, to do, you know, to do it because I thought my kid's going to be high. This is right. this is a bad idea. And then, I, of course, I did a little research. I was mostly ignorant, and we started to see some success. And I randomly, or call it divine in- intervention, I found myself in Vermont in the fall of 2018 on a hemp farm. And mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how I ended up in that hemp farm, and I, I don't know why I was there. Well, I know I was visiting it with a friend, but I didn't go there really other than just to go hang out with my friend and go see his hemp farm. I didn't make the connection between the hemp farm and, and the and all medicine that. that my kid was on. Yeah, I walked into this field and I was actually not very present. I was on my phone. I was busy texting or doing something. And, and I was, cause I didn't pay attention to where we were going. And I walked in this hemp field and I had a very similar feeling that I had when I decided when I saw my first infomercial, <laughs> when I was like, I'm going to go to America and, and get yeah. on TV and everyone, I'm like, I'm going to become a farmer. <laughs> I was 49 and I, I thought I this is what I this is the next part of the next chapter. I want to I want to grow. I want to do something a little bit different. I want to keep keep, you know, keep doing what I'm doing, but I want to I want to try something different. I want to make something really really special for my little girl and I want to understand everything there is to know about this this hemp plant and I want to and it's going to I I knew it was going to it was nothing you could talk me out of it. I I went home to Florida. I couldn't sleep. I was just thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get a farm. I'm going to grow some plants. I'm going to make, I'm going to figure out how to make CBD and I'm going to make something amazing for my kid and maybe people like it. And I, I think I was at a point in my life as well. When I was looking for a new challenge. You know, I was like, you know, I, I wasn't done. Right. I, I was happy with what I was doing. I was looking for a new challenge and this was, this was it. And at the time it was, you know, it was very exciting because it was unknown, right? And this, mm-hmm. the state was still legalizing it. The farm bill had just been passed. I thought, you know, this reminds me a little bit of the infomercial world. It just reminded me of the energy of the, the unknowns and the excitement and the people. And I thought this, is, this, will, this, this could be challenging. It could be fun. And you know what? I'll be doing something to help my kid. And, and that's, right. that's going to that's going to be great. Now, the hemp be- farm up in Vermont, were they making C- CBD? is an extract, they were, they were right? So- they were growing it and they were, they were just selling, selling the plants. People. It was just, it was just a friend of mine with a farm. So I ended up, I had a vision for what I wanted to do in it. I ended up, you know, I said to my friend, I said, look, I, I know what I want to do on this. I don't know if I want to partner with you on this, but I want to, I want to, I'm going to have to get, and of course everyone thinks I'm crazy, right? They're like, Sully, what the hell do you know about farming? Like, what are you thinking? And I'm like, I I didn't know anything about television 20 years ago. I figured it out. So I sort of had that irrational, exuberantly idea of just figuring it out, which is dangerous. It's really, it's a dangerous thing to do. When I look back on it, this these are uh, some of the my dad when he I think I as a kid, my dad when he started his business he bought forty slot machines and with the goal of putting them in pubs all over the UK. And you can't legally buy forty slot machines without a gaming license. And my my dad told me this story when I was really young. He said, "Son, I just got bought those machines," and then he applied for the gaming license. Yeah, and he got the gaming license afterwards, and I remember thinking of the risk of that. I'm like, man, my dad took a huge risk. Like that, buying those, he was young. He had a, two young kids, and he lived in a little house in the UK. And he decided to go on his own. And I think that story of like, all right, we'll 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 get out of our comfort zone, and we'll have to figure it out. Yeah, that that sort of stayed with me. So I ended out buying a piece of land in Vermont, 116 acres. I looked everywhere. I got a couple of people to help me on the project. Um, an old friend of mine from Philadelphia helped me. And we we found a farm. We we spoke to a few people and we figured out this is a young business. You know, we bought a tractor. We bought the seeds. We did a lot of research. We flew around and, and we went for it. And we, we went for it a little bit too big. When I look back on it, we, we, bought, we didn't do a couple acres. We bought 66,000 seeds. And they were in three soda cans, sixty-six thousand. Yeah, and we, and when you these plants grow, grow, you know, they grow six feet high. It's basically as many people as you get into the average football stadium. So it was. Would you have machines to plant these things? You can't plant six, six no, we thousand seeds by, by hand. hand. We planted them by hand. You're um, kidding. 
Nope, every single one of them. The f- actually, both oh, years, 66,000 seeds by hand in these little 36-count trays in three greenhouses that we built from scratch. And I, I knew it was going to be a potential – I knew it was going to be good TV. So I, did, I shot my reality show with Tom Beers, and I told Tom, I said, you got to come up and shoot. we'll shoot this. And I, I got some money together, and we, we started filming because I'm like, this is going to be – this could be a train wreck. It's going to be good TV, seeing if I can pull this off, you know, right. with it. You know, now, hemp is all – hemp's not grown outside, Sully, right? It's it's in grow houses. Outside, grown outside. You can grow it inside. The genetics that we grew grew outside. The, the plants, Got the it. little tiny seeds, we put them in the, the trays. We when they start about, in a greenhouse, like they germinate in, in there. I got about six weeks, they're about this big, and then you take them out, you know, like you would, and you put them in the ground about three or four feet apart. Got it. There's about five feet between rows. We laid 55 miles of plastic drip irrigation, and we learned how to farm. We ended. We had one tractor that turned into three tractors. We got our organic certification, fertigation. You know, we bought our farm on the side of a mountain. God knows what the hell I was thinking. It's a, the when it was in full bloom in 2019, 2019, 2020, we didn't grow last year because we didn't have to. It was people will come up there and be mesmerized. They're like, holy, as far as you could see, we had these beautiful hemp plants and they look, they look like the cannabis plant they to look at and they smell like. And we we pulled it off. Um anyway. There was, you know, it was a lot to it. It was like a whole new business. And I, I was rattled uh, doing it because all of a sudden I, you realize the scale of something like this. You know, we had to we had to grow the plants. We had to figure out, you know, weeds. We had to figure out the pests. We had to, the, the biggest thing was the harvest is getting these things down the mountain and dried and getting them stable. And then hemp prices uh, collapsed at the end of 2019. So we had to deal with that. But just because there was just too much supply, it was, it was, it, yep, oversupply. And, you know, I, I had not been in this space before, like anything, there was a big rush and all of a sudden there was oversupply and and the the price collapsed, but we, we were able to weather the storm and we ended out pushing our, uh, we, but, uh, you know, it gets uh, without getting too complicated. I wanted to make the best product possible for my kid. And we discovered that there was a way of extracting the oil from, um, the hemp plant by using a press. Okay. And if you go into the average hemp refinery, they look like they look like gasoline refineries. These giant okay. machines. You put the plant in one end, and this white powder comes out the other end. And they go through rotovaps and heating and distillation and CO two and extraction and ethanol. And it looks like it could explode at any minute. Um, and here I am, like, right, I'm doing this for my kid. We and I'm I'm a, I'm a guy I'm, a, I'm always looking for the hook right I'm like what what is going to differentiate us from the rest of the pack you know right. what I'll explain there was there was enough laundry detergent on the air at the, at the back in the day there wasn't you didn't need um, another laundry detergent but OxyClean brought something different to the table that people wanted right. so I'm always looking for like, what's what's a good what's a good position for us to do something different, to tell a story. Um, firstly, I'm obviously motivated to help my kid and make something really, really right. tough. We decided to extract using a press and, and do solventless extraction, which is really simple. You just take the flour. And I use the word just very loosely, but you squeeze the flour and out comes this oil. And you can check us out on our Instagram page at Mark Kirsch or on the website. You'll, you'll see the story. It's so there's nothing has to be processed. Just squeezes right out of the- uh, Squeeze it right out. And then- in that oil, we didn't know at the time because no one was doing it. We sent the rosin. It's called rosin. And we sent the rosin off to these third-party labs. And um, all of a sudden, we had this – we got a USDA organic certification in our first year from from, uh, from the Department of Agriculture. So that was a win for us. And because of that, we were able to maintain the organic, you know, uh, the organic integrity of the plant all the way through. And the rosin, we, we sent it out for um, – for third-party analysis, and it came back super, super high in CBDA. And at the time, we're like, "What's this?" You know, and people were like, "You guys have CBDA at like almost eighty percent." That's Nobody a good thing, right? It's a good thing, yeah. Well, it actually exists in the plant as CBDA, and if you use chemicals and heat, that A burns off. It's called decarboxylation. Okay. So the purest form of CBD is actually CBDA. And we had it, so we bottled it, and that's what that's our best seller. Anyway, unbeknownst to us, the people who really 
like in a, a enthusiasts and aficionados and who want you know the best it's almost like a sipping tequila right you can go buy some garbage tequila and you go get your sipping tequila we we sort of had the equivalent of this very very potent natural um uh cannabinoid in our rosin that is is has become it's our best seller so we actually do make uh the the next step down if you will and it's still organic when because if you warm it up over a certain temperature, it, it turns into CBD. But it's a rosin based. It's all rosin based. Got it. And there's a, there's a big market for this rosin. Um, and it's just getting bigger every day. But and that's kind of a precursor to the CBD oils and yes, stuff you see on the yes, shelf. You just nailed it. You just nailed it. Precursor yeah. is the word. I, yeah. I sometimes don't use these. Some people get confused, but it is a precursor. Yeah, and I understand. It's, it's like a raw material kind of, yeah, right? It's just, I kind of tell people, you know, when you have orange juice and you squeeze it from an orange and it's yeah, just. Yeah, this hasn't been processed or anything. It's, now, it's now, Sully, I want to ask you a question because you, you got interested in doing this farming. Were you already... I don't want to use the word experimenting, but using CBD to help your daughter and it was working for her. So that you were, and then you kind of saw the farm and you're like, well, we got to do this. I mean, was there a connection there? Yes. I had, I had my, my daughter's mom, her name is Brett. So she's, it's a, it's a little confusing. She's a PhD in school psychology. So she, and so she's super, she's way above Did me. not your wife. You guys didn't get married. We're not, we're not married. No, but we okay. co-parent really, really well. And, and okay. um, so Devin's mom's Brett and she's a scientist. She's a scientist. She's a doctor. So when it comes to the matters of, of, of anything that of above, above my pay grade, I right. pretty much prefer to her. She's got a doctorate. So which, what she says goes, she wins 99% of anything, anything that involves any medicine. I gonna speak to the doctor. So um, and she's been really, really supportive of, of this. And, sh- and so, yeah, um, we had good results and I, I just felt I, you know, I wanted the challenge. I wanted to do something great for my kid. I, and I knew, I, I knew that there'd be some eye rolling in the community, especially the cannabis community of, oh, this is another celebrity. Not that I consider myself a celebrity, but you, you could, you know, the oxygen guy, you know, why is this guy? getting into the, this space. Right. And I, I thought, not only do I want to make the best product possible, and I, I have a reason, right? I have my daughter, I'm, I'm helping. I, right. but I also, I, I like wanted to prove, just like I guess to my dad, when my dad, you know, told me to go work for myself and make a name for yourself, I'm, I'm going to have to earn my stripes. I'm going to have to earn my spurs in this space. I just can't walk into it and go, hey, I'm here. Right. I put my shoe in a bottle and expect you to believe me. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I know from... Even my when I when I showed up at HSN and you said it, you know, uh, I was I put my ten thousand hours in, you know, and I, I feel like on this one I I, I don't know how I, I do have ten thousand hours in now because it's been three years, but I thought to myself I can't just roll in here and say that I'm an expert in this. I'm going to have to put my ten thousand hours in, and right. and that is what I'm doing, and that is what I've done. It's taken it's t- it's taken ten thousand hours. I mean, yeah. it has, it's and, and really, that was, it's a different thing for you because. Even if you're selling this, you're producing whatever, it's not a demonstrable product. You're, you're not, you know, you were very good at hands-on, showing things, wowing people, selling things, knowing how to put those commercials together. This is kind of a different, it's a product, right? You're you're doing yes. great things with it, but it's not, you can't like put somebody up on stage and you give them two drops of CBD and something magically happens. No, this is actually, that way. It, it just kicked my ass from a marketing standpoint. The thing that I'm the best at is the thing that I've been humbled on because all of a sudden I'm in a, I'm in a space now when it's not a physical product, right? right? It's not something where I'm like, watch this. Yeah, you, you can't do that. I can't do that. And it's also, I can't advertise on Facebook. I can't advertise on Google. I can't advertise on television. Yeah, they won't let CBD go, no CBS. And I've had, I've, I've been, I've been knocked down a peg or two because um, people have been looking at me and like, you know, you're the officer, you know how to, you know how to do this. And I'm like, yeah, I do, but I the don't. Different skill. Yeah. A different skill. And I've, I've had to go deep. I mean, I'll be completely candid with you. There's a couple of times I'm like, what, why, why is this? So, and it isn't, it isn't a yell from the rooftops at full gas, Billy Mays, Anthony Sullivan style, solving your everyday problems and picking up stains and picking up spills. This is a, a, this is ultimately is a wellness product that people are really, really serious about. And there's a lot of bad product out there. There's a lot. Yeah. So there's a lot of skepticism, misunderstandings, uninformed people. It's a, it's not like, you know, laundry has been around for a couple of hundred years. It wasn't like you had to argue about that. 
Oh, right. you need to clean your clothes. People are like, why do we need to clean our clothes? You didn't have to make that argument. Right. <laughs> so um, one of the things that I've done, I, I was like, you know, I've had to reassess a couple of times. I'm like, all right, what, what are we, what are we doing here? Firstly, we're doing this for the right reason. I get the why. All right. Yeah. And, and it's important to me. And we've got our true north. Secondly, are we making a, a, a top of the line product? You know, we're doing something here that is, that is something I'm proud of, you know, like, and even you go back, I've had some on the spectrum of products over the years, I've got twi- my arm twisted to doing some products that, that probably you could find on YouTube and you might be, what the hell was Sully thinking? Some of them were just like bad ideas, but the ones that I'm, you know, I'm proud of the products like OxyClean. I'm proud of the, the, the super chamois mop. I love that mop. I literally love <laughs> it. Every time I see one, I'm like, ah, I saw it. still out there. The super shiny uh, map, you can get it on Amazon. It's out there it's, still. It's called the smart mop now. Um, okay. And that old car wash, the amazing washmatic. I mean, I kind of want to have one in my, you know, people are like, what is that? Said, That's the car wash. It's the greatest right. car wash. So are we making a great product? And we are. Um, and then it's just like anything. I've been in a, a business, a world where everything's instant hit. You go on to television. Right. And you set so that five thousand units in twenty minutes. I, I mean, me and Billy would load the lines, right? Yeah. Just load the lines. This isn't like that. This is a slower burn, um, and it's going to take time. And just stay in the saddle. And it's just stuff of um, the more, older I get, and the more experienced I get, and the more I look around me at, at a lot of success. And it, this is cliche. There is no overnight success. You know, even when when people saw Billy on TV and they're like, Billy Mays, the new Billy, you know, that guy. Right, just, of course. That was just a one, right. Still that's when they time. saw him, right? They didn't see him suffering. Yeah, well, getting there, right, of course. Getting there, and I feel like um, Mont Cush is, is, is on that journey. And in that, I think, is is the power of, of the product and the power of the brand is when you grow – you know, it's, it is great to have a meteoric rise, right? Like companies like Instagram that just, you know. You right, know. Well, that's pervasive. You're dealing with a community that is, you know, people, well, the wellness community is still developing. It's still holistic. It's still not mainstream in the medical community. I mean, look at uh, like Whole Foods, right? When I grew up, if you were into organic, if you were into, you know, natural natural pathy products type of stuff. You had to go to some weird stores. I had friends, his mom was into really natural stuff. I, you know, these stores were like weird stores. And then over time, things became more mainstream. And now there's Whole Foods and it's like a supermarket and it's all mainstream. Everybody wants organic. So it's CBD is kind of like that in terms of it's still not, you know, mainstream, not well understood, not available everywhere. You got to go to, you know, certain stores. I mean, obviously I'm sure they have CBD at Whole Foods now, right? Um, they do. So it's and maturing. I, it's maturing. And like anything, it's like it's at the end of it. It's, I don't want to say it'll be a two horse race. There'll be a lot of brands that fall by the wayside and there'll be the, some brands that stick right now. I, I don't I don't believe there's a brand. If you went into the average person in the street. No, there's no brand name. CD brand, you, you wouldn't know. No. Uh, you know, you say, tell me a laundry brand or a chocolate bar or a motor car. People will give you five brands, chocolate bars that they know at the top of there is that hasn't happened to, to CBD yet. So the people no. that are, in it, they, they, they think, you know, oh, this is a mature business from the, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's still a very young business. Right. We're still figuring out, we got FDA issues to deal with. Um, now, now, Sully, are you making your own, you have your own product line. So you're, you're bottling it and you're selling to, to retail. Yeah. Yep, we we actually focus very much on our direct to consumer on our web. We like oh, okay. that and we're just focused on that is the that is eighty to ninety percent of our business is direct to consumer. It's still very young. We're in uh, Airwan market in Los Angeles, which is a a very high end organic store, and we're dealing with some small retailers. But right now, without without the ability to tell the story and get the message out there i'm i'm we're taking it very very slowly and actually putting it into retail because i just right. think i no I'm, because of brand recognition right why would they choose yours I, over I, somewhere I else get the story out there and what i do like yeah. about i love our direct to consumer we're able to sorry my phone's ringing we're <laughs> able to um to tell the story you know to on the, have that relationship with the customer i mean i I look at our customers every day. I try and write handwritten notes every now and then if I know someone's buying it. And I try and make that transaction like just like when I was selling a mop or a car wash when, you know, that hand-to-hand transaction. When we we have an Airstream, we take it on the road and we we go sit with our customers. 
We do outbound surveys, trying to just you know um, make sure that customer experience is really really good. It's it's not cheap. It's ninety nine dollars for a, 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 a tincture of right. thousand milligrams. Um, you know we're we're very aware of the, the cost of it because the cost of farming you can imagine how, how much it costs yeah, to do it. Um, imagine it's 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 great you know we're usda organic certified my daughter was my first customer our first customer she she takes it twice a day i take it i was i just uh, fell playing kickball and i, I put like did a number on my back so i've been pounding our cbda right now just to kind of uh, help help with my pain but um it's 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 great. I'm you know it's been an interesting challenge of a, of a business. And like there was a couple times I think I told you when I was selling my mops in Long Island that I thought about going back to England with my tail between my legs, you know. And it's yeah, like anything. But um, it's it's awesome. We've got a we got a great product lineup. We've been um, we've been marketing now. It took us a solid eighteen months to develop the product line, and we're just you know, do, taking it very slowly, making sure our product line is, is great. And then, and that was after having grown the product, right? First you had to grow, you had to plant the farm. And how long did that take to grow? I mean, each year is basically, you know, we go in the ground in April and we don't come out of the ground till October. And then by the time we actually get it and process it and, and squeeze it and get it in the bottle and do everything, it's, it's almost a 12 month period, 12 month yeah, okay. period. But uh, interestingly enough, uh, uh, in January, a study came out of Oregon State University that linked CBDA in particular to COVID. And um, we've had a, a run uh, this year. It's been a, an insane uh, uh, run on CBDA, which is which is just great. You know, you start a new business, and you're working and you're hustling and, and um, making sure we have good people, part of our team. We just signed Andrew Cotton, the big wave surfer. Have you watched Hundred Foot Wave on uh, on no, H? But I know the name Andrew Cotton. Yeah, yeah. And Cotty's a, a big wave surfer, and he broke his back a few years back. And he's actually from my village in the UK. So we're um, we've just we're, we're putting the team together, the marketing team, and uh, the TV show is available on Tubi. And um, and Sully, our, our CBDA because it's a precursor to the CBD that you see in most products. Are you one of the few that are producing a product that has CBDA or not? No, there are yes, other companies. Are. I, I would say we are the number one producer in the United States right now of CBDA and we have the biggest inventory of it. And we're the only people that have it in any meaningful amount in with a USDA organic seal on it. I've already started to see some CBDA like magically appear. Right. Uh, I'm not quite sure of its efficacy. And if anyone's out yeah, there. Yeah, well, that's a problem, right? You don't know what's in these bottles. Yeah, if anyone. And your is, brand is Montcush, right? That's what it says Mont on the Kush, label. Yeah. O N T K U S H. So right. Mont, shout out to Vermont and also French for Mountain, and, and uh, we're very close to Montpellier, our farm. And Kush is where the, the genetics are from the the Kush region of of the foothills of the Himalayas way back in the day before they're called the countries that they are now. But uh, also, we found out that an Indian chap visited us on the farm. And he says, your name is the best name. And I'm like, why? Why is it good? He says, Kush means happy in Hindi and happy oh, man. So uh, it, all, it all comes together. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Mont Kush is the website. and Catch us on social media and Facebook. Mont, right. Your story, uh, I believe, is on the website, right? And on Instagram, Facebook, all that type of stuff. Yeah. So all your uh, links in the show notes. And I, it's a great story. I mean, Sully, they got to make a movie about you and Billy and his, cause especially since his life was cut so short, you know, I, I think Billy, you gotta, you gotta get somebody to write the script. Then you got to take it to Hollywood. You did it once before, right? Hit the streets and find a, a studio that'll, that'll produce. You got to get a producer and you got to get a director and you know, it starts with a script. So you got to find a script writer and then get off, go off to Hollywood. I'm good friends. I'm good friends with David Arquette and David oh, just okay. movie. Uh, you can't kill David Arquette. And I, I did speak to David about it and I'm like, but we need to, and I'm really tight with Billy Mays son still. And Billy Mays son wants to make the movie. And I, I don't know who would play Jonah Hill, maybe like who would play Billy Mays? You know, I, I that would be the fun process of getting someone to Jonah Hill probably would be a good choice. You need somebody who's, you know, who could be as animated as he. Yeah, exactly. It's a great story. Well, I definitely I want to stay in touch. I will put all your links in the show notes. People can see what you're doing, follow your story, learn about CBDA and still look for you and think of you whenever they're at the supermarket and see OxyClean. Thanks. Because, I, uh, I really enjoyed on. talking to you. I really, really enjoyed and enjoyed this. So uh, let me know if you need anything from me. Thank you.
And um, and uh, check us out, moncoach.com. And don't forget, add a scoop of OxyClean to every load of laundry. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Amazon Music, and many of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at beinhackerlaw.com. The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted and produced by me, Mitch Beinhacker. If you'd like more information about my legal services, you can find me on social media or visit my website at beinhackerlaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.